Welcome to Madison City Channel's Know Your Candidates interviews, co-sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County. I'm your moderator, Cheryl Daniels, and I would like to introduce the candidates for the U.S. House of Representatives 2nd Con Congressional District, Mark Pocan and Peter Theron. Each of you will have three minutes for an opening statement that answers this question. What is your professional, educational, and civic background that qualifies you for the U.S. Congress, and why are you running? Representative Pocan. Sure. Well, thank you. I um, appreciate having this opportunity uh, and to be able to talk to the voters uh, about uh, this race. Um, I have been serving for the last two years in Congress, and it's been an honor to serve South Central Wisconsin, uh, serving uh, in Congress, representing uh, the counties that are part of the 2nd Congressional District. Prior to that, I served 14 years in the state legislature, and I served uh, prior to that on the Dane County Board of Supervisors and local government. So I've had the ability to see the connectivity between local, state, and federal government. Um, this job has been a real challenge the last two years in Congress. This has been a Congress that has been somewhat broken. Um, the legislative process certainly hasn't worked the way it needs to, uh, but unfortunately, uh, the people who already have the power and the moneyed special interests are still very strong and very active, and the folks that seem to get left out of that are the middle class and those aspiring to be in the middle class. So I try to make sure that every day I go to work, uh, I'm one of those voices for those who are trying to find those opportunities for their families, uh, figuring out how to get by. So uh, I think that the committees that I serve on and the work that I do is largely focused around how do we get the economy going, how do we help to create jobs, how do we make people's lives uh, better so that they have that same opportunity, that equal opportunity uh, for their families as everyone else. Um, I serve currently on the budget committee uh, that kind of helps to do kind of the 30,000 foot level of the federal budget as well as the education and workforce committee where we deal with everything from pre-K to K to 12, higher education, uh, job training, uh, things like non-discrimination, minimum wage, uh, and that's part of the work that I, I'm on various committees for within Congress. Um, I just see my job is to try to do what we can to try to pass legislation in a very tough environment uh, where the Tea Party, really 30 or 40 people, hold all the rest of us hostage, Democrat and Republican, how to develop relationships with other members so that when things do move, uh, we can actually get uh, some things that have to happen for the American people, uh, and also uh, working with agencies to try to figure out how we can get things done for our constituents. Uh, because one area we've still been very successful is being able to reach out and uh, get things done for people who call us up who have problems with the federal government. Uh, sometimes it seems like we have the bat phone. We can kind of use that and access that, and we try to make sure we're getting that done to the very best ability. Uh, it's a job uh, I've really enjoyed doing, uh, despite in that very tough environment. I'd really be honored to be able to go back to Congress uh, and do that for two more years, and uh, I'm talking to the voters uh, today to try to make sure I can try to do that. Okay, thank you. Mr. Theron. I'm running for Congress to change the course of our country. Are you better off than you were six years ago? Six years ago, gas was $1.79 a gallon, and our debt was $10 trillion. Now, gas is over $3 a gallon, and our debt is over $18 trillion. Six years ago, if you liked your plan, you could keep your plan. If you liked your doctor, you could keep your doctor. Now, cancer patients are losing their health insurance, and children are losing their pediatric cardiologists. And all of us are paying more for less health care. Six years ago, Iraq was stable, and we had a recognized southern border. Now, Iraq's in flames, and we have thousands of illegal aliens not showing up for their deportation hearings. There are serious issues for this campaign and for this, in this election. 
This is the only federal office for this district and for this state. Uh, the, the, the congressional office is the voice of the people. So if you wish to change your voice to make it heard for these critical issues, then you have an option. Thank you very much. Well, you will now have two minutes to answer each of the following questions as I alternate which candidate answers first. Um, unlike maybe some other times, uh, really significant foreign policy dilemmas are front and center right now at this election time, with at least two areas of conflict which will continue to need con congressional attention. First one, what is your position on the U.S. role in dealing with the group variously known as ISIS, ISIL, or the Islamic State? And what is your position in, in stabilizing this area? Thank you. Essentially, um, ISIS was something which was on this administration's radar for over a year. Uh, the administration decided that they were going to deal with it rhetorically, calling them JV. Uh, now that, they, uh, that, that ISIS has uh, blossomed into a, a, a larger threat, the administration is dealing with them with Tomahawk missiles and F-22s. I should point out that the administration has decided, it ended the, the production of F-22s in 2011, at, calling it an obsolete aircraft, and they've decided to end the production of Tomahawk missiles in 2016, um, again, declaring it to be obsolete. Neither of these are things you can go to Staples and just press the easy button. We need to be reestablishing our military um, to be able to deal with threats such as this and also uh, threats such as um, Russia, which is now go has gobbled up Crimea and is working on gobbling up the Ukraine. Um, the, the nature of this threat, Barack Obama has decided he will not call it a war. Um, are U.S. interests truly at stake? Um, well, if he will go to the American people and ask for a declaration of war, then I believe that that's something that Congress should debate. If he's not willing to do that, uh, then it's on him. Okay. Representative Polkan. Sure. You know, this has been uh, one of the tougher issues, I think, that we've just recently faced. Um, there's no question that ISIL is a, a terrible terrorist organization. Uh, they have financial resources, something that most groups haven't had, and that uh, we must do uh, what we must do to make sure that they don't um, spread right now in the region, uh, much less uh, farther across the globe. The real problem that we had with what I think was proposed uh, by the president is uh, the fact that we're doing this largely on our own. Uh, we don't really have partners on the ground within the region that are providing us the boots on the ground. Uh, while we've got people saying they support our actions, it's largely, again, the U.S. Uh, doing this. Uh, I think you know, there's no question that uh, the entire uh, reason why we first wound up in Iraq was built on uh, a false intelligence, in some cases, I think, uh, faulty ideas to actually have us get involved in that region. And we've lost uh, thousands of lives and spent uh, $1.7 trillion uh, dealing with this quagmire. Uh, however, uh, at some point, uh, we have to realize that we can't keep going in here and keep double downing on the problems that we have. Uh, at some point, we have to make sure that that region uh, takes on more of those responsibilities. And right now, uh, we're not finding those regional partners to take on some of those responsibilities. So I think the, the real problem is, uh, years ago, uh, President George W. Bush uh, flew a big banner uh, that said, Mission Accomplished, flew in uh, in military gear, and, and that was it. And that wasn't it. And now we're still paying the price for that. 
And that's the real difficult situation. So where President Obama is trying to figure out how to unravel that, uh, the difficulty is uh, I don't know if the best solution is to try to arm uh, moderate uh, rebels, uh, putting us in another um, altercation. Uh, I've talked to some group on campus recently, students, and they uh, have pretty much their entire adult life, all they know is the U.S. is in war. So I think it has to really be uh, the region stepping up to take on more of the responsibilities uh, and not just an entirely U.S.-led uh, effort, and which is starting to look like. Uh, but there's no question, this is a bad terrorist organization, but we have to make sure that if there are real threats, those are the threats to the homeland and not in every region uh, where there's a problem across the globe. Okay. Um, the second part of this question is on one that was alluded to by Mr. Theron. What is your position in dealing with Russia vis-a-vis -vis the Ukraine, but also other countries bordering Russia? Sure. Uh, you know, there um, is clearly uh, what appears to be an effort by uh, President Putin to try to bring back um, uh, many of the parts of Russia uh, that had broken apart. Uh, right now in the Ukraine, it's specifically they're going after a very um, crucial port uh, area in Crimea. And uh, what we need to do, uh, I think, is really, again, have a worldwide effort, uh, having other partners in what we're trying to do. And we've been doing some of that, I think, uh, with uh, some countries in Europe, uh, trying to put some pressure on President Putin, because clearly uh, they're going in and doing an invasion in a sovereign country. They don't want the Ukraine to be a member of NATO. And uh, we think that this is the first step of what could be additional steps in other countries. So we need to put the pressure on. But again, through diplomacy uh, is the best way to do that. And I think right now a lot of those efforts are having some effects. I, I recently had the opportunity to watch an overseas version of Russia Today, a network um, where, especially overseas, a lot of uh, the propaganda they put out there is is. Uh, there to see. And the way that they spin what's going on versus what we know is going on, and we recently had the Ukrainian president uh, come to a joint session of Congress just uh, last week and talk to us. We need to do whatever we can to support in diplomatic uh, ways uh, countries like the Ukraine, show them the U.S. is there to have that support, help build those partners to make sure that they have additional support. Um, but I think sanctions and diplomacy are the best ways to deal with this, what appears to be uh, a slippery slope of uh, President uh, Putin trying to take in more areas uh, to have uh, the old uh, land back uh, that Russia once had. Okay. One thing we have to realize is that the Russian economy is pretty much built upon natural resources, particularly oil, which means that they're very, very sensitive to the price of oil. The more that we produce our own oil and we encourage other countries to produce oil, the less Russia will gain from selling its oil um, and the less that uh, Middle Eastern countries such as Qatar, which have funded terrorism in the past, also gain, as well as Iran, um, also gain from selling their oil. So I think we can start domestically by increasing our oil production. That means the Keystone Pipeline, that means fracking, uh, because it does actually have an effect on our national security. Uh, we ch if we lower the price of oil, then many of these regimes around the country, around the world, um, have uh, an economy dependent on oil. They have less money uh, to, to engage in foreign adventures. Uh, the emphasis on diplomacy is laudable, uh, but we should also realize that um, President Obama has pretty much squandered his credibility, uh, and so many folks, many countries around the world uh, look, you know, look at, his, at the red lines he's established and they say, why? 
what's he going to do if I, if I transgress those? And our allies are questioning, well, is he going to be there if, when we need him? Um, and so he has to rebuild his credibility by actually following through on what he says he's going to do. Um, so he can't just simply talk a tough line. Uh, he actually has to show that he actually has to perform. Um, but the first, the first easy step is getting our economy back, in particular um, increasing our oil production and our domestic energy production to decrease the world price of oil and natural gas. Okay. You alluded to another um, very tough issue, and I want to talk about how do you believe Congress needs to work on grappling the issue of immigration reform? Comprehensively, um, smaller bites, what are your priorities on this issue? At this point, I believe we need to secure the border first. Um, we've just had news um, been reported today that over 40,000 illegal aliens were not, have not shown up for their deportation hearings. They were captured crossing the border illegally. They were given a little notice to appear, and then they skipped town. We don't know where they are, but we assume that they're still in the United States. Um, this administration needs to get serious about what it's doing with the illegal aliens who come here. Um, they, th this catch and release must end. Securing the border is first. Because this administration has been cherry picking which laws it will enforce and which laws it will not, uh, again, it's lost credibility as far as being a, a partner who will negotiate in good faith. We secure the border for, first, and then we can talk about additional measures. Representative Pukin. Sure. I, I think we have a real need for comprehensive uh, immigration reform in this country, but that's more than just a, a big, big fence on the border. Uh, it means also having a path to citizenship for those folks who've been living here, um, in many cases, uh, virtually their entire lives. I was talking to a girl last night uh, who's going to the UW and talking about some of the struggles she's gone through. She's been here since she was five months old. Uh, she doesn't uh, have really any connections uh, to the country that originally uh, she's from. And to say that we would just deport uh, folks uh, or deport the families, and I've talked to other people who've had a father and mother uh, deported, it's really a, a terrible policy that needs to be fixed. But that means comprehensive reform. It means a mixture of everything, working on the borders as well as providing that path to citizenship. The Senate has done a good job in getting together in a bipartisan way and putting together a plan that passed in a bipartisan vote, uh, and it's come to the House. Unfortunately, because of our Tea Party problem we have, uh, we have not tackled this issue uh, at the U.S. House level, but we must. And to be fair, there are uh, some uh, voices on the other side of the aisle who are still uh, trying to get that done. But we absolutely must uh, do this. In the meantime, we're tearing families apart. Um, we're making sure that uh, we have uh, people who don't have the same opportunities. So we're having inequality in this country. And uh, ultimately, um, we don't have a, a problem in the sense that we have people pouring into our country across the border right now, largely because of the economy. But we do have a problem with people who are having families ripped apart. And we need to have a logical path. And I think what the Senate did made a lot of sense. The House should do something very similar. And I am still optimistic that we will do this and we'll do it right. Um, turning to a, a different type of issue, given the number of issues that, that you deal with in, in Congress, what policy issue or issues do you believe are important for you to have specific expertise in? And do the committees you serve on or hope to serve on inform those choices? Representative Pocan. 
Sure. You know, I think the, the biggest, broadest issue area that I've tried to have myself interjected in is talking about the economy and how you uh, help create jobs. Uh, there's no question that uh, productivity has gone up, but wages have been flat. Uh, someone's succeeding, uh, but it's a very small, small percent of the population, and everyone else is uh, getting farther behind. Uh, we have a minimum wage that absolutely needs to be increased. It uh, hasn't been increased for seven years. Uh, it's, if it was at the same level uh, that it was in 1967 with inflation, it would be something like $10.60 some cents. Uh, we're way behind, and you can't survive on 50 $15,000 a year, which is what you'd make full-time. Uh, the myth is always that some high school kid uh, who is uh, making a little extra pocket money, well, the reality is it's about 12% of the people uh, who receive minimum wage are under 20. So the median age, I think, is 35. Uh, this is something we need to do. We need to invest in our infrastructure so we get people back working who aren't working. We need to keep our job training programs working. Uh, we need to do everything we can to stimulate the economy right now and help provide America a raise because it's long overdue so that the wealth uh, is shared. Uh, the productivity increases are shared, and we need to do that. A secondary is education. I serve on the Education and Workforce Committee, and uh, especially around issues of higher education and affordability. Uh, just in the last decade, the amount of student debt has quadrupled in this country, and that will, one, be bad for the economy, uh, and two, it's bad because uh, when we have folks who are more educated, that's how they can get better jobs, pay taxes, and all the ripple effects through the economy. So uh, I've been trying to be outspoken on uh, ways to try to take care of that, whether it be refinancing of student loans, finding other ways to make it more affordable, uh, trying to have a rate, uh, interest rate that's more reasonable uh, than, unfortunately, what uh, the Congress did last year, uh, but also trying to address the root issues around affordability. So I, I think, you know, jobs in the economy are one very important aspect that almost everything we do should be focused on. But secondly, let's really work on education because that's the path for almost everyone to have that equal opportunity. And uh, that's why I serve on the Education Workforce Committee, and that's what I'm going to continue to work on, uh, hopefully, in the next two years if uh, allowed to by the public. Mr. Theron. The economy is certainly a very important issue. I think we uh, need to realize that one of the things that's holding the economy back is Obamacare. Um, it has provisions in there that says that full-time is 30 hours a week. Um, this encourages employers to um, employ people only 29 hours a week. Someone who wishes to work 39 hours a week is out of luck. Someone who wishes to work full-time is also out of luck. Um, repealing Obamacare is, I believe, going to be necessary not only to repair our health care system, but also to help get our economy back on track. Um, another issue that we have um, that is, is looming is the um, problem with Social Security and Medicare. Um, these entitlement programs are financially unsustainable. Every two years, Congress and the administration will attempt to kick that can down the road. Unfortunately, because of the way compound interest works, and as a math instructor, that's something I do have to teach students. Uh, compound interest, you don't kick the can down the road. You're, in fact, kicking a snowball down the mountain. So it gets worse every year it's kicked. Um, the, uh, so Medicare and Medicaid uh, and the, the, uh, the, the whole, our whole health care system, the health insurance system, are things that really need to be tackled uh, and I hope that um, if sent to Congress that I'll be able to um, make progress in that area. Okay. Now, on, uh, in, in the same vein, though, since you can't be an expert on every issue, do you have a representative or senator or both that you take the lead from as particular experts on which important issues and why? Well, at this point, um, as I'm, I'm in the, the luxury of, of 
getting to, to read the views of um, many senators and representatives from both sides of the aisle. Um, and uh, um, certainly I found Paul Ryan in terms of his thoughtfulness on the economy and reform on entitlements. Um, there have been a number of, of good health care plans put out, particularly by um, doctors in the, the Senate, the Senate Republican Doctor Conference. It's actually just a doctor conference. I don't think there are any Democrat doctors in, in the Senate. Um, and, you know, that's, but again, the, the, the expertise is not just in Washington. We have to remember that one of the problems we have right now is this notion that Washington is the only place that has the answers. And in fact, Washington doesn't often even know the questions. Uh, so the, the, the big government has at this, at this point become a very corrupt government. Um, and we, uh, so if we look to only the, the rep, other representatives for expertise, um, I think we're limiting ourselves too much. We need to realize the states are laboratories and that the work that they do is very, very important and, in fact, more important than the work that's done in Washington. So getting Washington out of the way and letting the states improve our economy, letting the states um, improve our energy situation, and letting the states um, handle uh, Medicare, Medicaid as they're, as they're able uh, definitely is a way forward. Okay, thank you. Representative Polkamp. Sure. Um, well, you know, one, I think, uh, you know, Tammy Baldwin, I've had the fortune to uh, know since we were on the County Board of Supervisors uh, 20 years ago. So I think she's been a mentor and very helpful, especially being a freshman in Congress. And uh, while I've, I've got certainly legislative experience getting used to some of the issues that might be different that we dealt with at the federal level. Uh, within the House of Representatives, um, I think there's a number of people I'd point to. George Miller, who's the ranking Democrat on the Education Workforce Committee, spent four decades in Congress. He's uh, retiring this year. He's been very helpful to me, especially around uh, some of the workforce and educational issues, and that's been a, a great asset. Um, I think uh, Rosa DeLora from Connecticut, I've worked with very closely around trade issues, uh, which I'm very concerned about, the Trans-Pacific Partnership that could be coming through Congress and asking for fast-track legislation. Uh, Jan Schakowsky from Chicago, Keith Ellison, or a couple of other folks, and here in Wisconsin, uh, quite honestly, uh, Reed Ribble um, has been someone who, uh, even though we don't agree with uh, each other on all the issues, uh, he's a very reasonable uh, Republican, and we've had a chance to put a couple bills together around the budgeting process. I think it's more important that we talk to anyone, uh, not just people you agree with, but also people you don't agree with, to find out where we can move things forward. So those are some of the people I think that have had uh, an impact on me and my views uh, in Congress. Okay. With the time we have left, each candidate may make a one-minute closing statement. Representative Pocan. Uh, well, again, thank you to the League of Women Voters for uh, putting this forum on, uh, and thank you to the, the watcher, the people watching this, because uh, you're involved and you're interested enough to be watching uh, and hearing about different positions on issues. Uh, I've truly enjoyed the last two years I've had uh, in Congress, uh, despite the real difficult uh, time we've had in trying to get things passed, uh, thanks to a small contingent of Tea Party folks that hold all the Democrats and all the Republicans hostage. Uh, but I, I do my job every day in the very best way to help our constituents. Uh, we do a lot of work uh, through constituent affairs and working with agencies, trying to develop relationships with members on both sides of the aisle so that when we do again function, which we will uh, function, we'll be able to get things done. Uh, there's so much that we have to do to help provide uh, people opportunities in life, uh, whether it be protecting the middle class or helping those aspiring to be in the middle class. I've been truly honored to be a part of that in Washington. I would appreciate that opportunity again on November 4th, and uh, thank you uh, so much for watching this program. Okay. Mr. Thayer. 
I do need to correct something that's been said, and that is uh, the big deadlock, gridlock that's happening in Washington, D.C. is actually the Senate. Harry Reid has been bottling up bills that passed bipartisanly from through the House. Uh, so it's the, the, uh, the gridlock is not caused by um, the Republicans or the conservatives. It's, in fact, the Democrats. Um, essentially, uh, we have very tough issues. Um, if you would like to change your voice in Congress, uh, then you may have a chance, if you, if, if you support me, you'll have a chance to keep your doctor, and together we can renew America. Thank you very much for your time. May God bless you, and may God bless the United States of America. Unfortunately, we are out of time, so I want to thank the candidates for joining us and the viewing audience for taking the time to know your candidates. I would like to remind everyone that Election Day is Tuesday, November 4th. Please vote. If you would like more information about voting procedures, including voter ID, or obtaining a copy of the League's Candidates Answers publication, call the League office at 232-9447 or visit our website at lwvdanecounty.org. On behalf of Madison's City Channel and the League of Women Voters of Dane County, I thank you for joining us.